welcome to another episode of The Shift Change, our podcast about all things nursing. Today we'll be discussing violence in healthcare with myself, Claire, our co-host Michelle, and our guest Trish, who will introduce herself in full later on in this episode. To get us started, Michelle will share some thoughts on violence in healthcare, how it shows up, how it's often portrayed, and what questions we have when we think about violence as it relates to nursing. Then we'll enter into a dialogue with Trish about her experience as a nurse over the last 14 years. In recent years, there have been more and more stories in popular media about the violence that nurses experience in the healthcare setting, perpetrated by patients and also from families of patients. This press is valuable for bringing to light the injustices that we sometimes face as nurses, a profession disproportionately composed of women with a history of gender stereotypes and oppression influencing the current state of the profession and the discipline. However, less often do these stories explore the underlying causes of the violence reported, leaving out much of the backstory of the patient and their families the specifics of why the incidents occurred in terms of understanding the perspective of the patient, the factors that led to the incidents, the immediate response, and the longer-term responses. So often, these media stories about violence fail to explore the factors deeply embedded within the structure of the healthcare system, issues like racism, stigma, and power. Often, these stories also leave out the violence that happens between coworkers from other healthcare professionals, from other nurses. The reality is that violence is common in nursing, but this does not mean that it is a simple issue with a simple solution. There are many layers to this story, extending back into the history and development of nursing itself. For each nurse, we also likely have our own stories of violence, and it's not the headline story of a patient attacking us. For many of us, our first experience of violence happened when we were nursing students. In fact, in our introduction to the clinical setting, wide-eyed and curious, we may not have even realized that the hostility, the passive aggressiveness, the biting criticisms, and cold shoulders from staff nurses, clinical staff, and our instructors was violence. So often, it's brushed off as a strategy used to make us strong, to make us resilient, or as a clinician just having a bad day. Less often, it is viewed as horizontal or lateral violence. When we graduate from nursing school and enter into the workplace, as new graduate nurses, we often begin our careers in workplaces that are short-staffed, under-resourced, not designed for the care needs required in the current day, and not knowing the challenges that we need to prepare ourselves for. In the fight of nursing unions against violence in the workplace, the face of the perpetrator has been widely publicized as patients and their families. But curiously silent from this picture is violence perpetrated by other nurses, other healthcare clinicians, managers, administrators, and the violence perpetrated from physicians. Is this a strange code of silence in the age of a Me Too movement? Is it because it's too hard to believe that those who stand with us and those in positions of power, like physicians who are supposed to be helping people, are also harming the nurses that they work side by side with? Another voice that is curiously silent is the voice of the patient and their families and the violence they encounter from the healthcare system. Why are certain voices louder or more media friendly? How are these perpetrators of violence described? What are the words used? 
And how do they shape public understanding of these incidents and understanding of nurses? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves when the popular media discourse is saturated with headlines and images of violence perpetrated by patients and their family members. Actions like yelling, screaming, physical violence that happens within the stressful healthcare environment. This has been a hot topic. The remedy is often more training, more nurses, more security, more barriers, more restrictions. But what is the real solution? It doesn't seem like such a complex problem can be fixed with an easy solution. This is the discussion of the shift change this month. We have a special guest this month. Her name is Trish, and she's a registered psychiatric nurse that works in the downtown east side. Trish, do you want to tell us a little bit about your career and your life outside of nursing? Oh, wow. Well, my career started in 2007. I started by working in assertive community treatment and in a remand center. Since then, I've worked in inpatient and outpatient, outpatient clinics, outreach, I've worked with individuals who are veterans that were unhoused. Uh, A lot of my career has been around harm reduction and working in inner city populations and communities and within mental health. Uh, However, I think in about 2011, I moved from specifically mental health programs to working more in harm reduction programs and with folks that use substances became more of a focus for me. So I've been doing that for quite a while. For a while, I also worked with law enforcement in um, providing support for a peer support team within the law enforcement organization, teaching them how to support each other in the event of any kind of stress or any significant events. My last job in Alberta was a provincial instructor for concurrent capable practice, which was an awesome job. And then since then, I've moved to Vancouver and I work in the downtown east side in a few clinics in the downtown east side. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. It definitely gives us a bit of context of the breadth of experiences that you have had in nursing. Is there anything you want to share or introduce about yourself outside of nursing or just kind of leave it at that for now? Oh, yeah. There's a life outside of nursing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, right now with COVID, I don't even know that one exists, but Typically, my life outside of nursing is I love music and art, and I love my friends and my son. So that's what takes up a lot of my life. I'm a painful extrovert, so hanging out with folks is my favorite. So that's usually what I do if I'm not nursing. We're so glad to have you join us. Diving into kind of questions about the topic for this month, which is violence in nursing. We often hear about violence and nursing in the media, but in our experience, that image of a patient lashing out at a nurse in a hospital setting is one small part of the picture. Can you share a bit about how violence has or has not shown up across your career, including violence in all directions, such as between nurses, patients, families, and other healthcare providers? Wow, that's an amazing question and very broad. I could probably talk about hours with just that question. So if we're going to start with the context of patient or client interaction, I have seen aggression and violence perpetuated by individuals that come to the services that we provide. Largely what I see the escalated behavior to be related to is traumatic 
histories, adverse childhood events that may cause individuals to kind of learn coping strategies for survival. And so coming into see us, sometimes they may be triggered by something. Sometimes it's just as simple as a, a sentence we might say or a facial expression we might provide that might cause someone to escalate. Whenever I see any kind of evidence of aggression or violence, I often look at it as a symptom of trauma and respond as, a, as if it's a symptom of trauma. So creating a safe space, immediately providing their basic needs. So often I'll ask their name, ask how they identify, acknowledge that they're having a hard time right now, offering them juice or something to eat, providing them a place to sit, providing them a space away from other folks, if possible, reassuring them that like, I'm here to listen, I'm here to hear you, and just engaging on a one-to-one basis with a lot of genuinity. What I find is a lot of times folks will escalate also if we provide them with reassurances that may not seem genuine or transparent. So sometimes I'll be like, look, here's the limitations that we have. Like time might be a limitation, extra staff might be a limitation. And I'll be right upfront with that from the get-go to be like, you know what, we only have five minutes right now. And this is the best place that we can go in the clinic without too many people around. And I'm really sorry that I can't take you somewhere else or whatever it might be, but providing some very clear, transparent indications of how I can provide support at that very moment. And I find that using someone's name or the way that they identify is a very calming feature. That's what I've learned anecdotally. So that's what I try to do a lot of times with folks who may escalate. I often think too that folks that escalate, often it's kind of, um, have you guys ever seen that image of the glacier, the area jutting out of the water has like yelling or crying and then underneath the water is lifestyle, mental health, substance use, former traumas and all of these layers. So I often will see that as maybe there's some stress, anxiety, or fear happening right now for that person. And how would I want to be treated if I was feeling stress, anxiety, or fear? Well, I would immediately feel great if someone kind of calmly gave me very simple, succinct, supportive dialogue. Anyways, that's how I would do that. As far as staff to staff, now this is an unfortunate thing. And I find our nursing culture and our healthcare culture is really dishearteningly unsupportive. Um, we've done some amazing work on providing support for, for nurses that use substances. And if you have an opportunity to look at the Harm Reduction Nurses Association website for some position statements and webinars around that, I highly recommend you do that. There's also some great work from Byron Wood and Charlotte Ross in the area of providing support for nurses that use substances. And that also goes with nurses that have mental health. Um, Charlotte's, Charlotte Russ has written some articles about that also and how we as healthcare workers perpetuate the stigma of mental health and substance use within our own folks and towards the clients that we see just simply from the culture that we kind of foster within healthcare. I have been terribly bullied within my career I can say that it started when my career started. I remember when I was a unit clerk, uh, watching nurses treat each other 
and some sometimes very suboptimally and unsupportedly. And I remember telling myself, well, when I become a nurse, I'm going to be prepared for that. And I know how I'm going to behave so that I don't get, you know, talked down to or mistreated or ignored or ostracized by my peers. And unfortunately, despite the fact that I was a unit clerk for a decade watching nurse to nurse interactions, my very first job in nursing was such that the stress was so significant. I was suicidal and actually shaved my head (laughs) in an effort to like, I was like, how can I manage this environment? And for me, it was management perpetuated violence. So the manager would yell at me and say that I was, I'm not going to use her specific words because they were really inappropriate, but I was unknowledgeable. I was inexperienced. I was stepping on people's toes and she would tell me to sit down and shut up. And I remember covering my ears being like, please don't talk to me like this. And I went home being like, is this nursing? Because I do not want to be a nurse anymore. And I think I had only been nursing for less than six months at this point. And so I went home and shaved my head in an effort to have a different perspective on life in general. And I bleached it platinum blonde. So I came to work with a new perspective thinking that would help and it didn't. And so from the very beginning of my career, I moved to a different section of nursing and I did that for a while. And I remember an inpatient, I was talking to a person who was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And it's so unfortunate here again, where we as a culture of nurses don't look at the person behind the diagnosis as a human individual. And because I was so new to nursing, I really wanted to give that person opportunity to feel heard and acknowledged. Actually, wait a second. I'm still a nurse and still want that person to feel heard and acknowledged. So very early in my career, that's what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting with an individual with that diagnosis. And I think I talked to them for about 45 minutes and I sat down and one of the senior nurses came up to me and said, you know, you have poor boundaries and uh, you gave that person way too much airtime. And I remember being a new nurse wanting to learn so badly and be accepted so badly that I sponged all that information and being a new nurse and a sponge, I took in all of that what I thought was valuable feedback from senior nurses and turned it into my own like guideline of how to treat folks. And so I remember teaching new nurses later, maybe a year or two later being like, oh, so if they're diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, don't give them too much airtime. That's inappropriate boundaries. And I look back now and all I was doing was just trying to fit into a area and fit in with a team and fit in with a culture. And unfortunately, I think that all of us as nurses, and especially those of us with experience, need to make sure that our new nurses are supported and that we do not give them information that perpetuates the stigma and violence towards folks that are experiencing trauma. I think that we can create much safer spaces for folks if we realize that we're all human that we all have mental health, that we all have substance use or or personality traits or struggles and stress. We might have previous traumas. We all are human. And that is the 
awesomeness of being human, but also it's a challenge. And that's why it takes a small village and we all have to support each other so that we can be better for each other, better for ourselves and better for the folks that come to our environments. So yeah, I've been a nurse now 14 years and I wish I could say that I don't experience situations where I feel uncomfortable or maybe unsafe in my workplace. However, I do. I think what we need to do if we do feel strong enough to have a voice is really advocate that we accept and support the folks that we work with and celebrate the folks that we work with because we all come from different walks, but we all have stories. And all of these stories can be so valuable if we put them together to support folks that come to our clinic. So you sort of answered some of this question, but the next question is, what do you think are some of the root causes of violence in healthcare? Like you've touched on, you know, we have these traditions or these ideas or stereotypes that we have in nursing that we keep passing down to the next generation. And you touched a little bit on the culture and then some of the constraints that exist, like there's limited resources, there's limited time, but what do you think are some other causes of violence in healthcare? I think there's a lot of causes of violence in healthcare. And I think one of the main causes, to be honest, is that we have somehow created this idea that nurses are superheroes. And so any sign of vulnerability is a quote unquote weakness. And when we continue that kind of dialogue and that narrative, we are going to ultimately create or establish violence. And the reason I say that is because if we can't be vulnerable, how are we supposed to be empathic and present and genuine with other folks? And so when we have this like superhero kind of ego, we're going to treat each other with lateral violence. We're going to treat the folks that come in as weak or as different or other or less than. So I think what we really do need to start perpetuating is that we are human and we are vulnerable and that's what makes us amazing. And that's what makes us caregivers and creating a safe space of inclusion. So that's one thing. But I also think that what creates violence in our systems, unfortunately, is our history of colonialism and our hierarchical kind of medical systems where we really do create a space where it kind of is like, if you don't fit this niche, then you're not welcome here. And we may not say it in so many words, but we might do it in simple things like if they don't come for the appointment, we charge them a fee. If they don't come for an appointment three times, we terminate them from service. If they come in, but they have a traumatic episode and exhibit symptoms of trauma, we've got security or we've, we ask them to leave. All of these things, again, just reestablish a system that is uninviting and is kind of violent. Like I work with a lot of folks and I have worked with a lot of folks in my 14 years of working inner city populations and communities that don't feel safe in hospital systems, that don't feel safe in mental health systems. And why is that? Also, if I wanna get completely honest, our mental health system itself is very oppressive and 
can be very scary for folks. Like if you can imagine, if you have mental health deterioration, the nature of the Mental Health Act is to call the police on someone. So they get handcuffed for having a mental health deterioration or decompensation, which already sounds scary and terrifying and unsafe for that person. So we do that, we bring them into an eMERGE department and there's no supportive system that kind of sits with them or sits with them in the, the waiting area or while they're waiting. And so just the nature of that in itself, bringing someone to the hospital, how are you going to expect a hospital system to be inviting and inclusive and welcoming and engaging when that's just the, the way that we bring someone to the hospital? So yeah, there's a lot of things that we need to change. I think that what would improve our system dramatically is to have it led by folks that access the systems and ask folks that come to our hospital systems and our mental health systems, how would you like to be treated if you were in the hospital? What would you like to see in a hospital room, in a hospital bed, in a hospital unit, in the eMERGE department? How would you like to be brought to hospital if you are having distress, physical distress, mental distress, emotional distress? How would you like to be treated? And let's start building our policies and procedures to reflect the voices of the folks that come to the systems rather than the administrative perspectives of how a system should be run, which very rarely takes into account the folks accessing the system or the folks working in front of the folks using the system. I think that's such an important point, Trish, and you touching on the fact that people are the experts in their own lives and they know best what will and will not work for them. And I think so much of the messaging coming back to that place kind of inherently steps us out of a power over dynamic, which can be so problematic in healthcare. And mm -hmm. on that note, something that you did touch on previously, um, but just wondering if you can, if there's anything else you want to share about it just commenting on how different forms of oppression, such as racism and sexism, impact violence and how it's portrayed in healthcare. So as far as racism goes, this is so multi, 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 because when you look at how we treat folks that use substances, even as healthcare workers, we treat folks that use substances as less than. And where does that come from? But that comes from the drug war, which was perpetuated to ostracize different races to create spaces where law enforcement was going to be used to criminalize and have aggression towards and put folks even more vulnerable and marginalized based on the color of their skin or where they come from. And we have been doing it forever and the drug war. So being nurses and healthcare workers I really do wish that we were all encouraged, strongly encouraged, mandatorily encouraged to learn about the drug war and where it places itself in racism and where we participate in a racist system when we treat folks differently because of them coming in with histories of trauma and behaving with symptoms of trauma, when they come in with, when folks come in with mental health and intergenerational trauma symptoms and when when folks come in with substance use all of this is based on racist systemic ideologies that governments have initiated and we perpetuate 
And when you even look at like the way that our systems are placed, we expect folks to come in on time for appointments. Well, that's a very colonial way of establishing a schedule instead of making it inclusive and supportive, no matter when the, folk, the person comes in. We, we see a lot of news reports. Like yesterday, I saw a news report of a social worker in one of our prairie provinces being verbally abusive to someone who was advocating and sharing the voice of Indigenous folks and Indigenous children that had been removed from their families. This is unacceptable at this point that we aren't yearning to be more inclusive and to change our systems and to educate ourselves and to create spaces that are inclusive of all people that come through our doors, whether it be people of color, Indigenous, LGBTQ, new Canadians. Sometimes we have ideas and we've created this narrative of what nursing looks like when we enter nursing. It's this inclusive place where we treat people with compassion and care and that might not meet up with the reality. So do you have any ideas about how we can prepare younger nurses and foster initiatives to change, help change the system and make it um, more inclusive and to address violence from a more trauma-informed approach? Well, I think that we would benefit nursing education. Now, of course, I my nursing education was 14 years ago. So I'm really only speaking with that context. And I'm not too sure what nurses have for curriculum now. But what would be really awesome, I think, is having more folks with lived experience being part of the education process so that nurses learn that our role is to listen to the folks that come to us and to learn from the folks that come to us and to acknowledge and support the folks that come to us instead of being taught from one educator from a book. I think we really do need to start right from day one when people are getting their education to include that the folks coming to them are the experts. And I think that that would set nurses up for being more inclusive from the get-go. Also, I'm not sure if this happens a lot in the curriculum now, but I do think that there needs to be a lot of attention to the fact that as humans, we all have assumption and bias and we are going to have assumption and bias forever. (laughs) That's just how we are. We're humans. We kind of develop and grow and create perspectives based on our lived experience and the people we surround ourselves with and our social interactions and our education and our upbringing. And so if we've been brought up in colonial systems and systems that are sexist or not inclusive, then we have to like learn all the time. And unless we are creating a space in our education saying, you know what, it's okay that you have assumptions and bias because you are a human being and you're not a superhero. But the important part of having assumptions and bias is being aware of them and acknowledging them and knowing where they are in your body and knowing when they come up so that you can educate yourself and learn and do self-care so that you don't perpetuate that violence to someone else. And we need to address how important self-care is, not just for ourselves, but also for the folks that come to us. Uh, Burnout is real and burnout creates this culture where we treat each other terribly and where it ends up 
even with the best of intentions, we create unsafe spaces for other folks. And so if we really created and fostered a culture of take care of yourself, you're a human being, we acknowledge that you're going to have stress and that it's going to impact you in your personal life and your professional life. And so take time for yourself. If we created a culture from the very education first days of being a nurse or a healthcare worker, I think that would do wonders for our entire system and for how we treat people. Thanks so much for that answer, Trish. And I think you touched on so many important foundational things and then also novel ideas. This kind of brings us to the end of our um, questions we had prepared. I don't know, Michelle, if you have any bits you wanna add or Trish, anything you wanna say just in before we wrap up? I just wanna say thank you for all your wisdom. And it's so important, I think, for all nurses to hear different perspectives in order to not feel so alone. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. You know, all I can say is it's funny because when I started in nursing, I was so hungry and I really did look up to the nurses that had more experience. And it's unfortunate because it really set a tone for my experience working in mental health. And fortunately, I started working in harm reduction right around that time. And it was interesting because when I started in harm reduction, I remember going to the manager and saying, uh, staff are hugging clients. And I think that's inappropriate. And bless my heart, my new nurse heart. That's what I had learned. And so after that, I was like, oh, cool. And I remember coming from working in a system where it was all about the primary focus was set boundaries and limit, create be behavioral care plans that are foolproof and cannot be deviated from <laughs> if someone has quote unquote misbehavior, put them in locked rooms or medicate them accordingly. So I came from that kind of school of thought and please know I'm not blaming any of the wonderful folks I worked with in those systems. They simply were in the same space that I was and didn't have the opportunity to learn anything else and any other perspectives. And so for me, I frequently am grateful for my opportunity to work in harm reduction, which taught me, actually, we're all the same. We're all human and we're all working together. Oh, I could do this job forever. It's the best. So it really has, like, I wish everyone learned about harm reduction, to be honest, because for me, it really changed this structured us versus them, hierarchical, very unhuman kind of point of view it makes it easier to even be like, you know what? I made a mistake. I booked your appointment and then I forgot to follow that up and I'm so sorry. And then you can have like a human dialogue with that person if you make an error because you're a human and you're going to make an error once in a while. And so it's a lot more forgiving. It's a lot more inclusive. It's a lot more human. And for me, it was the entire change from wondering, oh my gosh, am I going to be a nurse forever? to being like, oh man, I'm probably gonna be a nurse till I'm 70, if not longer. <laughs> so that's my last rant and rave. I think it's, yeah, just such a powerful and beautiful note to end on this place of we're all humans, we're all trying and learning. And the more that we can recognize that in others and ourselves, the more we can sustain ourselves to a, a better way of working and practicing. 
So thank you so much for your time, Trish. And we really look forward to continuing this conversation in future. Violence in healthcare is a huge issue. It's not a problem that can easily be solved. But open and honest discussion about the intersecting issues of racism, inadequate training, resource limitations, and a deeply embedded medical model with its traditionally rigid systems that can exclude rather than embrace diversity of a range of people can be a good place to start this conversation. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Shift Change podcast. If you like this episode or want to share any feedback with us, please visit our website at www.theshiftchangepodcast.ca. Our website has blog posts, behind-the-scenes photos, and links to our Instagram and Twitter accounts. We'd love to hear from you.